Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, listeners. Caroline here. We just want to give you a quick content warning that in this episode, we are going to be talking about child abuse and neglect trauma, and depression. If these topics are sensitive for you, please feel free to join us next week and take care of yourselves. And we'll see you soon. And know that the Ultra Hope Girls are here for you, keeping you in our thoughts. We said in our last Toko character analysis that we talked for an hour and we could have talked way longer. Well, here we are presenting Toko character analysis part two. Just a heads up for all of our listeners that this episode will spoil Trigger Happy Havoc, Goodbye Despair, Ultra Despair Girls, and Danganronpa 3 the anime. If you have not played through any of those, just a heads up that we will be talking about Toko throughout all of these all of these lovely games and series. And without further ado, I'm Maddie. I'm Marin. I'm Caroline. And we're the Ultra Hope Girls. One, two. Welcome to the Danganronpa Podcast. <laughs> You're on the threshold of an amazing episode. Showtime. All right, guys, we have enough about Toko to make an entire second episode about her because we learned so much in Ultra Despair Girls that just adds to the conversation that we we could not resist. Y'all know we love her. Y'all know we, we care. love her. We do. Mm. And so here we are, part two. Oh, uh, Caroline. As our resident Toko, would you like to get us kicked <laughs> off? Well, don't mind if I do. <laughs> um, well, I think so. First of all, with comparing Toko from Trigger Happy Havoc to Ultra Despair Girls, that's like the first thing that we think when we see her in Ultra Despair Girls is how is she different? There are a lot of differences. Physically, she's very different. Her hair let down. It's no longer in the braids. Her uh, skirt is torn and you can actually see genocide Jack's scars now before they were very hidden um, which sort of implies like and we kind of see this through the end of Ultra Despair Girls but more of like a camaraderie if you will between the two personalities with each other which I think is definitely very good and very interesting but the one of the biggest changes is unfortunately Toko has an ahoge which means that she <laughs> I'm just kidding <laughs> I'm just kidding, but she has an hoge, which I did some research on a hoge, so that would be interesting to talk about. But a hoge literally translates to idiot hair, um, which I think definitely <laughs> applies to um, one protagonist in particular. Oh Is it Kamaru? <laughs> okay, two, two, <laughs> two, and they're related. <laughs> Sorry, I'm already starting off like a like a roast. And I was gonna say the audience thought that there wouldn't be a Kamaru roast in this episode. There but is. They're, they're wrong. They are wrong. <laughs> um, that's I am I am Tokos. It's funny. Um, okay, so the interesting thing about the history of the Ahoge is it is actually inspired by uh, Western cartoons. So if you look at like Betty Boop, she has like her little like cowlick in her hair um, and. One, there are a couple instances of it being used, quote, first, but one of the most famous is in 1953, Tezuka Osamu. Please forgive me because I wrote in cursive and I don't actually know if that is the last name, but I think it is. Was inspired by this Western culture thing and gave the main character in Princess Knight in a hoge. So that was the first use. And it's designed so that you're able to identify the main character in just a silhouette of that much I thought was very very interesting Mm. but um yeah it's it's just interesting to think about as someone who is self-conscious for a lot of the first game about the way that she looks and appears and she wants to be very modest and she you know slut shames other characters in the first game a lot it's interesting this very serious shift and literally her letting her hair down and having an idiot hair that she is not trying to tame she's just kind of let it all let it all hang loose. 
So yeah. yeah, so that visually that's what's changed about her character design, which I think is interesting. Wanna you do what we want to talk about? Your head down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about um character changes? What what character changes did you guys notice? This is me teaching. I, I feel like I'm teaching my creative writing class right now. So what um <laughs> um I've... yeah, yes, yes, Marin? Um, okay, I found <laughs> so, I did find something and it's an ultimate nurse little note here, but um she uses a stun gun in order to kind of control her relationship between herself and Genocide Jack in this game in Ultra Despair Girls. And I wanted to examine that in the lens of electroconvulsive therapy, ECT, because that is a treatment option for some people who experience depression, schizophrenia, delusion type disorders. And I found a really, really interesting article called Transient Disassociative Identity Disorder After Electroconvulsive Therapy. It is by Dr. James Ellison, Dr. James Chu, and Dr. Michael Henry. And it is from the Journal of Electroconvulsive Therapy. Disassociative identity disorder is frequently accompanied by depressive symptoms. When the depressive symptoms are not simply secondary to the DID, but represent true comorbid major depressive disorder, electroconvulsive therapy has been reported to be helpful in treating the depressive component of the disturbance. And then later it says, in this clinical example, they found that electroconvulsive therapy might in some predisposed patients exacerbate existing disassociative symptoms relating to past abuse and transiently produce symptoms of full-blown DID. And so basically kind of examining that, what that really means um, is that in this one clinical case, they found that patients who underwent this electroconvulsive therapy had their symptoms of depression alleviated. However, it all alternatively made their DID more present, which I Hmm. think is interesting when you look at Toko, who uses ECT with the stun gun to become Genocide Jack, to have that DID present. Um, And so I thought that was kind of an interesting take. I obviously, this is one clinical case, and so correlation doesn't necessarily equal causation. But if this was how the Danganronpa writers were kind of taking this and why they chose a stun gun, I think it's an interesting route. And Maddie, I'm sure you have like so much to add to this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got very excited when you brought that up because I was like, yes, like I, I thought of the same thing. That is the same thing that it made me think of when, when she's using the stun gun on herself on her head. I was like, oh my gosh, it's almost kind of like ECT. Yeah, I think that I, I did have a couple notes about electroconvulsive therapy. And that is really interesting, Marin. I did not know that there was a study that found that it it could like exacerbate DID in some people. But I mean, in in some ways, it kind of makes sense because so I think a lot of people um, get like, well, I'll, I'll say as a first disclaimer, I had this one note because I think a lot of people get kind of scared when they hear the words electroconvulsive therapy or or electroshock therapy, which it's understandable because it has been used in very unethical ways in the past, um, in like past ages and like whatever, when there were not good regulations on the ethical treatment of like psychiatric patients and whatnot, it would be sometimes used on patients without their consent. And sometimes in cases where it wasn't necessarily what was best for the patient but nowadays things are much much better um so just to to relieve any fears of anyone listening who's like oh my god electroshock therapy what it's only used like with the consent of the patient if they're like you know um I want to do this. I want to try this treatment. And it actually can be very effective in cases of severe depression that don't respond to other kinds of treatment. It actually can be really, really effective. And yeah, so that's kind of like the disclaimer I wanted to put on there is, you know, not to, not to be all like freaked out about it, I guess, because it's, it's scary to hear about, but it actually can be used um, in some really amazing ways nowadays to, to help people. But it's interesting the way that it works in the brain, because I mean, your brain runs on electricity. It's like you have all these electrical circuits in there and 
ECT is basically like a way to short circuit your brain, essentially, like very briefly. And that seems like terrifying, but it can be helpful because it, it hits the reset button basically for, for in a lot of ways. And so that made sense to me as to why that would be something that Toko could use to switch back and forth between altars, because it is literally like hitting the button to kind of reset the brain into like a different mode. But yeah, I, I, now I want to go do more research on the, the um, electroconvulsive therapy and specifically DID and how it might exacerbate that. Because I wonder if that kind of short circuiting is something that triggers more dissociation in some people. It's also very interesting that this story features a main character who has DID and uses, you know, electricity that are both very stigmatized things in our culture, but she is a very likable character. So I think it is interesting that the creators took these two things that are so negatively viewed and we're, we're like, hey, yeah, this is the thing, but also like, look how great Toko is. Like, look at this great character. So it is, yeah. Yeah. I think it also speaks to Toko's growth. You know, we talk a lot about how she's grown from Trigger Happy Havoc to Ultra Despair Girls, but in Trigger Happy Havoc, it was very much a repression of Genocide Jack. It was, don't let me see blood or I will do like turn into Genocide Jack. Don't let me sneeze or I'll turn into Genocide Jack. Whereas this, it's like, we're in a situation of crisis. I'm ready. Or I'm going to work alongside Genocide Jack and do X, Y, Z. You know, like, I, I think that that absolutely speaks to her her growth as a person. Oh, Toko, I'm already getting emoji. I love that girl. I know. And without this, like, I feel like some people who may not have played this game, like, are confused. I, I've even seen comments of uh, on some of our stuff where people are like, wow, you guys really like Toko. That's very interesting because I didn't really like her I, or blah, blah, blah. And I feel like this game is the reason why I love her so much. You know, I feel like alone, Trigger Happy Havoc alone, I still, what a queen, icon. But like she, she, this game really takes her from being a 2D character to a three-dimensional character. We, in my book club, shout out to my Patreon book club pals. Uh, we just met and talked about Danganronpa Zero. And we mentioned that that, takes I don't want to spoil anything just in case people haven't read it so it just it takes a character that I would have called one-dimensional and makes them two-dimensional whereas I feel like Ultra Despair Girls takes Toko from 2D to 3D um so Hufumi definitely wouldn't be interested but, um, <laughs> but yeah so it's kind of cool yeah I mean like I didn't like her in Trigger Happy Havoc the first time I played the game I did not like her at all but like after going through ultra despair girls i'm like she's like an s-tier character for me she just grows so so much and another like kind of just little fun thing i wanted to share um just like a small note is that i'm working on right now so i i made like these three playlists for um the three like killing game casts of characters and like you know kind of guess the character from the song kind of playlist and i'm working on one now for ultra despair girls and I am having such a hard time finding a song for Toko or even thinking about what kind of approach to take to trying to find a song for Toko because she is so complex in this game. Like there are so many different facets to her. There's so many different ways I could take it. Like there is like, you know, her, there's her DID, there's her love of Byakuya, there's her like newfound kind of control over herself and her newfound courage there's her budding friendship with Kamaru. There's her like learning from her trauma and growing from it. There's just so much to her that it's like, I can't just find one song that's going to like be Toko in a nutshell, you know, like you can't put her in a nutshell anymore. She's so like, she's grown so much and there's so much complexity to her character. And I just, I love it. I'm going to make a, a whole Toko playlist. That's what I'm going <laughs> to Yes. According to Kadaka, this is from Danganronpa Wiki, but Toko represents the game's worldview. So how the game would represent the world is is in this one character. And I think that that is very telling from what all of us have said, even within the first five, 10 minutes of this episode is there's so much, like there's so much to her. So 
relating to that, you know, with her role in the first and the second game and how she does represent the worldview, this, this adds a layer to this entire point that I had. So Toko goes from being a part of an ensemble of, ca- of a cast of characters to becoming a deuteragonist. And that's a word that basically means that she's the secondary, most important character, main character, secondary main character. And it actually stems from a Greek word that is deuteragonistes. I'm not that, that probably was wrong, but it's a, no, Caroline, stop it. <laughs> Who knows if that was wrong or right? I sure don't, but you know, I'm going with it. Okay. Um, and that literally translates in Greek to second actor, and it stems from Greek theater. So the history behind deuteragonists as a role in a story is in Greek theater, it used to just be an ensemble of people or a chorus, if you will, because they would all speak in unison. They all were together, moved in the same way. And then there was one lead actor. That was it. You were either speaking in unison with a bunch of other people or you were the main character. So the this is this was the format of Greek theater until a famous playwright called Aeschylus included a secondary lead actor in his plays. Um, and so Aristotle wrote this very interesting quote in his poetics that I thought really applied to this. So, or just about Aeschylus in general. And it is, thus it was Aeschylus who first raised the, the number of the actors from one to two. He also curtailed the chorus and made the dialogue be the leading part. So this really relates to Ultra Despair Girls as a game versus Danganronpa visual novels as a game is that we really only have the protagonist and we see and think hear all the protagonist's thoughts and he interacts with the with the chorus of people and the chorus are a bit more individualistic but it really at the end of the day Makoto or Hajime are the main character whereas in this game it's a dialogue between two different characters and that's what makes this game stand out and makes it very unique in turn us as people we all find a moment where we have to gain confidence and come into our own and be part of the worldview that we're seeing rather than just witnessing it, but actually take active action and active change. And I think that this is, you know, Toko, again, is the worldview. And so this is a version of the worldview where maybe we decide that we want to take action or be actively part of what's going on rather than just being a passive observer. I feel like along those same lines, a lot of the complaints about Toko and her character are She's very aggressive, you know, and sometimes aggressively self-conscious, you know, she can be kind of hard to listen to because a lot of what she's talking about is very dark or very sad or very, you know, and I think it's very interesting that Kadaka said she represents the game's worldview because that world, the world of Danganronpa is sad and dark and depressing and hard to take in I mean how many times have we sat here and said we're speechless about something that happened and so I don't know I think it I think it's interesting to consider Toko in that lens too so uh, Maddie um, last episode talked about how childhood trauma often causes DID and uh, we we elaborated on her romantic life but now we have a little bit more that we learn about so much more Uh, so so Maddie I mean if you would like to just take it away. (laughs) Sure. So, I mean, I, yes. So DID is um, literally in over 99% of cases of dissociative identity disorder. There is um, childhood trauma that has a lot to do with it. And a lot of psychologists kind of explain DID as being a coping mechanism of sorts for dealing with that past trauma, because If you switch to another personality that doesn't share the same memories, um, it's kind of a way to to shut off those memories of the trauma. And so that's widely regarded as like kind of the origin of DID and why it occurs. And clearly we know, we know now that of all the things that Toko has been through, she's got some serious trauma going. So it's, it's no wonder that she has DID in my opinion. And I, I thought it was interesting that seeing Toko kind of reining in her own switches between alters and like gaining more control over them herself it almost seems like maybe she's becoming more willing to like openly face her past traumas especially considering that like 
we learn so much more about what she actually went through in this game than like in Trigger Happy Havoc because she never she never talks about it in the first game. In this game, she actually like opens up and like talks about things. And I think that that's like a huge part of her like growth and like the, the healing process from that trauma. But um, I mean, we learn about just some terribly, terribly sad things from her past. Like literally from the day she was born, it was like, you know, correct me either if you have them wrong, but on the day she was born, there were two women in the hospital who had mixed up, they, they mixed up their babies, but then one of the babies didn't survive. And the other one was Toko and neither of the women wanted the baby. So they were forced to like take turns mothering Toko as a child. She didn't know which one was her real mom, but neither of them wanted her. And that is just heartbreaking. Like that alone, I mean, from the start, there's, there's that, but then she talks about, you know, having been locked in a closet for an extended period of time with like no food or water. Um, We know about her past experiences with like getting ridiculed and made fun of by people she was romantically interested in. There's probably way more trauma that we learned about that I'm forgetting, but like, there's just a lot of um, really heartbreaking things from her past. Yeah, that what you said about um, the, the her backstory with her birth and like how her family structure came to be. This has always reminded me of that story in the Bible with King Solomon. Like, I think it's the judgment of King Solomon is like the name of the section. In some translations, it's different. It's very like it's a twist on that story. So in this in the biblical text, it's about two prostitutes that come to King Solomon and one claims that oh, well, uh, this woman rolled over on her baby in her sleep and killed it and then switched the babies and now is claiming that like her, the dead child isn't hers, but that the living child is, but like, you know, and no one was there to witness it. Only these, the accounts of these two women are like the information we have about what was going on. And this story in the story, King Solomon says, all right, well, we'll just make it even. We'll cut the child in half and one half will go to one of the moms and the other half will go to the other mom. And then the, the mother who whose child it actually was, uh, she sp- spoke up and said, no, no, give this child to this woman. Like, like ha- let her have, have it because she would have rather seen her child be alive than, than split in two. And so then Solomon, that is how he learns who the true mother is is he says, okay, well, that's the real mom because she was the one who said, you know, let the child live. And because the other woman, I missed this. I forgot about this. The other woman says, yes, cut it in half. And it's just, it's an interesting story in the Bible. It's supposed to illustrate King Solomon's wisdom, which is unprecedented and gifted to him by God um, in this story. And some believe that this story is about the female's influence on the king and like having very black and white judgment. It is also interesting to note that the women don't have names, just like Toko's mothers. Uh, And because that's not what's important about the story, what's important is the impact that it has on Toko's life, that that's how she was treated. And then vice versa, the story isn't about the prostitutes. It's about how King Solomon's wisdom led him to be a great king and lead a great nation in Israel. That's what I got for you. And also the phrase splitting the baby comes from that story um which these two women were like all right i guess we'll have to split the baby <laughs> neither of us wanna that's really interesting though because if you take it as like what happened to toka was almost the opposite it's like there were two babies and neither of them were wanted so it's almost right. like they the two fuse into one and that's why toko has the, the two altars maybe that's like in huh. Toko's story, one of the babies dies, and both of the moms claim the dead child as their own. Right. And not Toko. Which is oh, the opposite of this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. But the split is interesting. And King Solomon's, it's like the one loved Toko, so it wasn't split. But in this one, she was not loved by either. And so she, so she was, was split, split in half. Like, oh, that's so good. Oh, wow. Oh. Wow. Yeah. What a good reference. Good job. Good job, writers. <laughs> Ultimate literary girl, Caroline. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought of that as, like, that wasn't even something I did research on. I just, I heard that and I was like, that is the King Solomon story. Um, so I, 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 I did some more research on DID 
because what I originally wanted to see was if I could learn about any real examples of people like kind of learning to control their own switches between alters. I ended up kind of going down the rabbit hole of DID because, you know, I love psychology. I learned some interesting things. One of the things that I learned was simply a statistic that surprised me. And it is that it is estimated that 1% of the population has some form of DID. And that is high. Like really high. Yeah. That's really like high. That means out of every a hundred people, you know, one of them has some form of DID. That's like the way higher than I thought it was. I thought it was going to be like 0.000 something like, wow. Yeah. So that's just an interesting, interesting tidbit that I did not know. And also I, I kind of did some more research on like what causes the switching between alters in, they, they call it actually, they refer to it as a DID system is like all the alters within one person is their, their DID system. And so like what causes switching in a system. And according to most of the research out there, there's almost always some kind of trigger. It's not just random. Even if the trigger is not known, there's usually something that causes it. And switching is almost always involuntary, which is interesting because Toko learns a way to make herself switch when she needs to. And it's not like she can just will it by thinking about it, you know, because that's not something that's possible. But she literally like finds a trigger, which is shocking her brain. And that causes her to switch, which makes sense. Cause you know, I kind of talked about how that's like a little bit of a reset button for the brain, but it also, you know, applies for her, some of her other triggers we know, or if she falls unconscious for some reason, or if she gets hit in the head, which also makes sense because those are also kind of like reset buttons to, to the brain. I found an interesting article on um, healthplace.com written by Becca Hargis or Hargis. I'm not sure which one. And she is a writer and mental health advocate who wrote this article about um, switching with DID and how there are sometimes situations where a switch can be like induced. And she, she talks a lot about how like voluntary switching is super rare. It's super difficult. It's often like distressing for the person with DID, but there are some real life examples of it happening, which is super interesting. And she writes about a situation in which, which she herself who has DID, she writes about a moment where she was in like so much emotional distress that she felt like she couldn't cope with it. And she was writing in a diary and she started writing and like begging a different altar to come forward to deal with that distress for her. And then she doesn't remember anything after that, which means that it worked and another altar came forward. And it, that was fascinating to me. Like it, it just, the fact that like she almost called it forth in a time of need. And she, she describes it as like, she almost felt like rescued by like this other altar, which is in a neuroscience perspective to me, that's really interesting because it suggests that even when someone is with the ideas in one state of mind, there is some kind of communication maybe with the other alters that are in there. Maybe somehow they're, I don't know, listening a little bit, like ready to hop out if they're needed. But it's also just like, that's really fascinating. And, and again, I want to put the disclaimer that that's really, really rare. And it's, it's generally not a thing for people with DID to just be able to switch like at will. It's totally involuntary, but there are some examples of people inducing it themselves. Not, not quite in the way that Toko does. I, I definitely don't <laughs> recommend anyone try to use a taser on themselves. That's really dangerous, but um, there is some real life precedent for it. And it's just really interesting. I, I don't remember what the YouTuber's name is. I What I'll do is link it in the episode description so that she gets credit for this. But she has DID and I follow her and I follow her DID videos. And she described it as like, it's less like, like there's communication within the system. Like it's, she described it like you're all in a car and somebody's in the driver's seat and somebody's in the passenger seat. And there are three people in the back and they're all there but one person is driving the car, right? Gotcha, yeah. That's how she described it. And I thought that that was very, very interesting and kind of relates to what you were talking about with the journal thing. It's like, they're all present. Yeah. They're all there hanging out. 
It's just like, yeah. We're going to take a quick break, but before we go, what do you think about Toko? What do you think about Genocide Jack? Let us know in an anchor.fm voice message. If you leave us one, we might feature it at the end of the season in our Q&A sesh, which would be really cool. You can find us on all social medias. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. We are everywhere. We would love to hear from you. And if you want even more Ultra Hope Girls content, become a patron. Lowest tier you can give is $2 a month, and you'll get access to a bunch of bonus episodes that we reference a lot on this podcast. So make sure you become a patron to hear all that good stuff. And we'll be right back after the break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I do want to bring up the question, Maddie, you brought it up about DID with is Toko kind of merging back with her, oh, like herself is Genocide Jack merging in. And there is an instance in chapter four of Ultra Despair Girls where Toko just knows what happened when Genocide Jack was in control, which was abnormal. We hadn't seen that yet because it was the whole like no memories, just feelings. And also, in Trigger Happy Havoc, you can, you know, win a lot of hope fragments, and then you get the character's underwear if you win, right? Like, if you get all of the points, you get their underwear. (laughs) And Toko's underwear, it's described as her favorite underpants, and they have reinforced elastic and loops to hold her deadly scissors. Which, if I don't think that Toko would wear that, especially not as her favorite undergarments, if she didn't feel some sort of connection to that other half, you know, like some way of being like, okay, well, I want them to be prepared. Yeah. Just kind of interesting. I don't know. I didn't know if you had thoughts on that, either of you. I mean, it's, it's interesting because most of like what I have read about DID is that generally alters don't share memories, just like with Toko and Genocide Jack. And so and and some people with DID actually, um, in real life, some people with DID are not even aware that they have it because they're not aware of the other alters because they have no memory of, of you know, switching between. But Toko clearly is. She knows that she has DID and she knows that half of her is Genocide Jack because she's, you know, t- trying to like tame her almost. And so... I think that that either that could mean one of two things either she has had help from somebody else who has like helped her to realize um, that she has this other half and kind of start to like communicate around and like learn about her other half through someone else's observations because she doesn't share memory with genocide jack so theoretically how would she know about genocide jack or it does suggest that there is um, some kind of merging between them two, some kind of communication, uh, maybe a little bit of, of shared memory, just a little that she is now able to kind of take the reins herself and start like, you know, controlling that. And I think that that, is, that would be an incredible example of just like personal growth, but it could be that she's had help from someone. So I've always imagined that um she the first time she killed that first boy that she came to look saw the body and the blood on her hands 
and then that like the that happened a couple of times and that was when she realized that maybe oh. there's a connection there that I don't know I don't actually think that's canon but that's always what I've imagined interesting that's really interesting because I didn't think that I thought that she had noticed a pattern of all of the guys she was having crushes on ending up dead you know and having like memory lapses and being like oh my like like it's gotta be me kind of thing it's gotta be me (laughs) oh wow yeah I mean that's it's a good question but we also do see you know in a way Biakuya does encourage her to figure out how to control genocide Jack like for her for him she promises that she will not kill another human being and keeps that promise I think that that is a very positive change that came about from that relationship dynamic I agree with you I have a question about that which is she can only become a formal member of future foundation when she can control genocide Jack so that no more murders occur right that's that's canon. Biakia literally says that. Is that fair? Because let's say that Toko and Genocide Jack are not merging. They are two distinct different people within the same body. Toko has then been tasked with the impossible, which is to generate feelings about like all men strong enough that her alternate half can feel the same way. Or at least acknowledges that Toko suddenly loves all men and, <laughs> you know, doesn't want to hurt them. And like, that, to me, I feel like Toko was given an impossible task. Right. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. We do see the merging a little bit. I think I do think that they're merging a little bit together. And I think you can see that from like the hair being let down and some of the more physical traits that Caroline, you mentioned at the start of this episode. But let's say she couldn't have done that. That's really stinks. Like she's just been told she's the only surviving member of Hope's Peak in her class who doesn't get to help. She can just go about her way. And the fact that like even Makoto didn't step in and say, guys, we shouldn't treat, you know, like why did he not do that? Or honestly, alternate opinion, maybe she thinks that of herself that could we're, we're, we're missing the third option which is her being like like her self-deprecative self saying I'm not worthy of this because of I have her I am whatever and I need to figure this out and then Biaki is saying you need to figure this out <laughs> like because she could have spurred it on herself as well of, of her viewing herself as not worthy of that position as well because it's hard for me to imagine Makoto not saying anything about that quite honestly yeah yeah although maybe he did and she's just listening to Biakuya that's true because she never listens to Makoto I know that's true oh man that's a good point that that is a really good point though Caroline like but yeah I, I kind of thought maybe she came to that conclusion herself more so I I think yeah yeah, and then she she like rejects rejoining them and stays with Kamaru at the end of the the thing because she's found her own identity separate as just one of the survivors, which is what she was at the beginning of the game. Um, but she's Toku Fukawa, ultimate literary girl, queen, and legend. Um, I am very sad, also related to her not being part of Future Foundation, that we do not get to see Toko in a suit. In like oh, a suit yeah. and a skirt because I've seen so much fan art. Shout out to um, uh, Otomi Grandma. I love her art of Toko. She drew my body pillow that I have, but she like has drawings of Toko in her, in like a pant skirt, a pantsuit skirt. So I guess it's a skirt suit. Um, but it, <laughs> it looks really good and she looks so cute in it. And it's very, yeah. So that is a crime. All right. My next note is about Toko's stink bug, Kamiko. I think that it's a very interesting choice to have a stink bug as Toko's bestest friend going into Ultra Despair Girls, right? Like that's that's interesting. And I think that on surface glance, on first glance, it's, you know, oh, Toko's smelly and ha ha ha, she has a stink <laughs> bug, right? 
But it is very interesting to consider more like the symbolic side to stink bugs, which is not a sentence I thought I would ever say, but here we are. <laughs> we have, we're hosts on a Danganronpa podcast. Yeah. It was bound to come about. <laughs> but stink bugs are really vulnerable creatures hidden by one of the toughest exteriors you can imagine. You know, like their exoskeleton, like if they didn't have that, they would be extremely vulnerable and would probably not survive nature. And I, and they happen to be stinky and it's to me like we had our episode about harry potter where we gave people patronuses and i honestly think that the stink bug is the perfect patronus first for toko it is someone who is hurt so deeply that she has put on the toughest exterior that she can imagine who happens to be stinky <laughs> like uh, yeah well, also stink bugs use that smell to keep predators away. And so Toko has, first of all, her physical odor because she doesn't shower. But second of all, like her attitude, it keeps people away because she is very vulnerable, my little baby. Oh. Another random short note is that Ultra Despair Girls confirms Toko to be a masochist. I think in the first season of this podcast, we were briefly mentioning part of our you know, reasonings for the Biakia and Toko ship. If you want to hear more, check out our Patreon. And part of why that is, is because we said that Toko is the ultimate masochist and Biakia is the ultimate sadist. And it is basically confirmed in this, uh, in this game. She calls herself a masochist, um, which that is something that is interesting to some people. And that is the kink that they have. And it's also interesting that she, I made the connection that she's very paranoid about pretty much every man except Biakia, like mm-hmm. every other man. So is it just whoever she's hyper fixating on at that point in time? Or is that's, it because... That's always what I've thought. Is um, it because I mean, like, he is in love with her? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the listeners already know this by now, but I'm the, I'm the odd one out who does not ship them because I don't think that Biakia likes her um but I don't know I mean it's it is certainly possible I think that they're you know whatever like whatever kind of argument you you make or headcanons you form about maybe like what goes on behind the scenes or anything like that's valid and it could go it could go either way I think in the first Toko character analysis, Maddie, you talk a lot about erotomania. Yes. And I did want to bring that up. And I do believe that, you know, there are things happening in the background that we don't see. And I think that especially given Toko's growth, I mean, Maddie, you said it yourself that there there was either she's merging or someone is helping her to get control. Right. That's what I think. Yeah. And I think that person could be Biakuya. I definitely do. And so while that's not canon... I will just go against my beliefs right now for a second and bring up something in Maddie's case, uh, like to support Maddie's case, which is that Toko is a guest character in Chain Chronicle Brave New Continent, and her death blow is called Delusion Dream, which, as Maddie discussed, erotomania focuses on delusions of love that don't actually exist, and so while I don't necessarily believe that they're delusions. And I know Caroline feels similarly. That is interesting that canonically she was given a attack that's called a delusion, right? I think that that's a very interesting point. Hmm. Yeah. One thing that I, and I think I don't want to um, like repeat myself too much because I think I said this in the first Toko character analysis, but I'll say it again. Why not? What one thing that was really interesting to me about Toko is that she admits to having delusions. Like she calls some of her own beliefs delusions right. and says that she's like, at least I'm honest with myself about it. And which that almost like even then contradicts the idea that she's delusional because she's self-aware. Like she is like, right. oh, this is my imagination. This is what I'm doing. You know, that was always interesting to me. But yeah, no, I didn't know that, Marin. That's a that's a fun fact. That's right. I like to argue against myself too. Yeah. Do we know me? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but like along those same lines, delusion could be in reference to an Ultra Despair Girls, the fantasy moments that we see. Like, yeah. Everyone daydreams, and I'm not saying that everyone daydreams in the same way, but like you could call a daydream a delusion if you wanted to. I just want the the clip of 
the, especially from the anime, the, the Togo's fantasy from the anime, with just the caption, everyone daydreams, with like this <laughs> 17 Biakrios, like, honey! <laughs> Uh, oh god oh yeah i would i would say those are like that whole piggy (laughs) conversation we don't need to talk about it but i think that those are (laughs) (laughs) i have one this is literally my last note it's very small but i just wanted to share it because it's a cute little shout out to toko i think um is that she has a page on Heroes Wiki at hero.fandom.com where she is listed as an anime hero. And I thought that was really cool. She really is. Without her, Kamaru would have died. Yeah, Yeah. like she is. She is a hero. And I just- so cute. Shout out. (laughs) I thought that you meant that she was on Yasu Heroes Wiki page. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) why? Going back to Toko's, you know, core identity as the ultimate writing prodigy or ultimate literary girl, depending on the translation. Also, funny, funny fact is that the translation for the chi- for Chinese is ultimate literary maiden. And that just makes me laugh so hard. I, I, I wish that that can I be the ultimate literary maiden like that is hysterical. We'll allow it. Thank you. Mm. But should we learn a little bit more about some titles that she's written? So we already knew about So Lingers the Ocean, which uh, made Fisherman top the charts as the hottest mouse, which I think is hysterical. Um, <laughs> but two other titles she had is Blue Thread from the Scarred Mountain and The Family from Day Before Yesterday. And Blue Thread in like symbolism means a line of a loving family. Um, which I think is very interesting and relates to a quote that Toko has in Ultra Despair Girls, which is, my theory is that happy people can only write happy, shallow novels, but the downtrodden can vividly imagine their ideal world, perfectly envision in true beauty. That's the spirit I put into my novels. And so I want to go back on what I said last Toko character analysis episode, where I said, oh, you you can only write from life experience. That was and silly and I feel like sometimes going to school for like creative writing or for the arts you think that there's only one way to think about creativity when creativity is very expansive yeah I want to apologize for my very narrow-minded like opinion from last time okay yeah I mean you learned it in a class it's not like you just like right right it out of somewhere yeah yeah very cool that's really interesting about the blue thread yeah and it it, because she had a terrible family life yeah And so she wrote about her ideal world. All right, listeners, we have now reached the bed, wed, behead segment of our show. And we are actually going to do a bed, wed, behead again, this time, not an amended one, because, you know, Toko, she's our lover of romance. And so in honor of her, we're going to do a bed, wed, behead. Um, The characters we are choosing from today are Toko, Hiroko, and Chihiro's dad. <laughs> I couldn't oh. keep it together. <laughs> also, I, I, we were doing Bedwet Behead and also Genocide Jack would be the behead, right? So it's like kind of a full circle moment. Oh yeah, like Toko's the bed and the wed and right. Genocide Jack likes to behead. I would argue that Genocide Jack is also the bed. It, it's <laughs> like argue. a Venn, it, it's a Venn diagram. <laughs> yeah, it's a Venn diagram. I love that. That's too good. Oh, anyway, man. I have my answer if you guys would like me to go first. Please. Please. So I would probably bed Hiroko because she is beautiful. I I think I would wed Toko and behead Chihiro's dad. I'm sorry to behead Chihiro's dad, but like, yeah, just process of elimination. I'm sorry, buddy. Um, and then I, I'd wed Toko because... You know, I think, you know, she, she'd she be a lot, but I think that she has been through so much personal growth that she is amazing and we would be queens. All right, I'm going to go next because I have the exact same answers, Maddie. So I would uh, bed Hiroko. She is a queen and would be so respectful and just what a legend, like love her. Um, I would wed Toko because I have... 
on occasion been known to be kind of similar to Biakria. So I think that would be a very interesting what? dynamic. You have? <laughs> uh, yep. Yes, I have, especially when I'm hangry. <laughs> oh God. But no, but I love Toko and I would I would cherish her as my wife. And um I think I could actually marry Ultra Despair Girls Toko. I don't think I could marry Trigger Happy Havoc Toko. Uh, oh, I love her. Wow. Um, and then I would be head to Hira's dad. Um, I, yeah, sorry, buddy. Like when Toko is in the lineup, it's like, dude, I'm. I apologize. You do not really stand a chance. Um, yeah, because she's just too good. She's pure, baby. I have a very similar answer, but not exactly the same. Um, I have also beheaded Chihiro's dad. I'm so sorry, buddy. I just, I need the spark there. And I'm sorry, Chihiro's dad. Um, I would wed Hiroko. I think she's so cool and she's proven capable of raising a child. So we could have a family, you know, and yeah, I just thought about Hiro being my stepchild and it made me uncomfortable. So I moved <laughs> on. Um, and then... <laughs> And then I would bed Toko. I don't have words. I just think it could be fun. And I think that she's definitely, I just think it could be a good time. Period. Period. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's all I got. Period. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of Ultra Hope Girls of Danganronpa podcast. We are so glad y'all came. Please, if you uh, want to support the podcast, we would so, so appreciate a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That is one of the best ways to support us. We also have a Patreon where the lowest tier is just $2 a month. And it does include book club with with me. So, I mean, if that's not worth it, I don't know what is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, and you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. We're Ultra Hope Girls Podcast everywhere. And we look forward to hearing from you. Oh, and don't forget to leave a voice message on anchor.fm if you have any questions for us or topics that you want to bring up. Please, please leave a message. We'd love hearing your voices and we will feature them at the end of this season. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. And we will talk to you very soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.